This is my baby girl. I'll be reading from James 1, um, verse 2 through 17. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged down by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Thank you, Tara. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I hope you picked up in the skit that it was the enemy doing the tempting, trying to lead them away and away from God's best in their life. And that's what I'd like to just talk to you a bit uh, about tonight. I'm wondering if your mind ever gets attacked with deceitful lies, maybe with misleading and defeating thoughts, thoughts that are a clear contradiction to the truth of God's word, and yet you think them anyway. Thoughts that take you down the wrong road and make you behave in the wrong way and rob you of joy and peace of mind. Do you ever think of something and meditate on something that you should not ought to be thinking about and you wonder where that thought came from? Things you know aren't true or pure or good, but you can't seem to get victory over those thoughts? Are you on fire for the Lord one minute, walking in accordance to his word and seemingly sold out for him, but then in the next you're living defeated and beaten down by the enemy or by your circumstances? Do you find yourself continually vacillating between the abundant life that Christ promised and being overcome with defeat and hopelessness? Have you ever been following God with all your heart and then find your passion and your desire being eroded by a sudden ambush of thoughts that lead you astray and make you question the faithfulness of God or if he even really loves you? If so, you're not alone. It is a battle that we're fighting. And as we've said so many times, the battlefield is in the mind. But I want to assure you that we are not unequipped for this battle that we're facing. We have an enemy who wants to undermine our faith. As I said last week, he wants to knock us off kilter and cause us to waver and lose our footing. Belief is a powerful weapon, and he knows it. He wants us to question God's faithfulness and lead us away from the firm foundation that is rooted and established in faith and in complete trust in God and his word. God is saying one thing, but my circumstances are saying another, and he wants us to choose to focus on our circumstances instead of unwaveringly, unwaveringly believing God's word, that it's truth, and that in the end, we will see the deliverance of the Lord. The enemy knows that without faith, it's impossible to please God. As James says, without faith, we, won't, we should not expect to receive anything from God. Like he did with Eve, the enemy comes and his ploys often come in disguise and are very devious. He's like a lion. 
He brings thoughts that ambush us out of nowhere, and we find ourselves entertaining misleading whispers and calling them truth before we can even fathom what hit us. We must not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. I find it interesting that that is the word that's used there, the enemy's schemes. And that word alone tells me that our temptations are not random. They are schemes, they're tactics, they're, they're, they're strategies concocted by the enemy of our soul. I believe that the lies we hear, the defeating thoughts we think, some of the issues we face, the heartache we encounter, the lustful thoughts and the desires that overwhelm us are not random. They are cleverly disguised by the enemy of our, our soul. He disguises his themes or his schemes beneath the covering of people. He masquerades behind uh, hindering, defeating thoughts. He artfully deposits lustful desires, strategically lures us with evil temptations and overwhelming longings. And all the while, you and I are convinced that it's just a normal part of life. And we don't realize that we have the power to override those thoughts. We have the power to override those desires. We don't have to be lured away by those cunning, evil temptations. We do not have to live at their mercy. God does not tempt anyone. The good news is that the enemy of our soul is a defeated foe. And the only power he has is what we surrender to him. His deception is an attempt to trick you and I into wavering, into doubting God. And all the while, he desperately hopes that we will never discover the limitations of his power in our lives. Because if we do, like James says, we will be able to stand firm against his schemes and not waver, and we will receive what we ask of God. Christ disarmed, and I I want you to get this deep within your soul. Scripture tells us that Christ disarmed. Somebody say disarmed. Christ disarmed principalities and powers on the cross of Calvary. Do you understand that? They've been disarmed. He disarmed those supernatural forces of evil that operate against us, and he made a public spectacle of them. He stripped the enemy of legal rights to operate in our life. Do do you understand that? He has no legal rights to operate in our lives. The only power he has is what we give to him. Because while Jesus stripped him of his legal rights to operate in our life, we still have a choice. We have been given the authority, and he expects us to enforce it. He expects us to enforce what Christ accomplished on the, on the cross of Calvary for us. I want to read you just a, a few pages out of my book, and, and I would tell you the story, but I think it's just written, uh, and I just want to read it to you from the book. Jesus is waiting for man to participate with him in what he has already accomplished. When the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he operates illegally, and it's up to the church. God's delegated authority to manifest the power and the authority of God in this world. Early one Saturday morning, when I was ministering God's word in Alabama, my friend Leslie drove me from the hotel to the conference center. A worship CD blared in the background, and we zealously praised the Lord, belting out worship songs at the top of our lungs. In the passenger seat, I extended my hands upward, pressing them against the roof of the SUV. I even considered opening the sunroof so that I could be even more expressive. After all, we didn't know anyone, so what did we have to lose? Leslie confessed later that she was so lost in worship that she doesn't remember many, many of the landmarks that we passed. I'm pretty sure that all the windows vibrated from the joyful noise that we made, and we were, and, and we were overwhelmed with an awareness of the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit filling the car. Apparently, Leslie's foot on the accelerator felt the weight of his presence as well, because suddenly she glanced in the rearview mirror and realized that a policeman was following us. Lights on, sirens blaring, and her eyes immediately dropped to the speedometer that now registered 80. Apparently, much to our humiliation, the policeman had been following us for miles. I'm sure that he enjoyed our conference from afar. The loud music that filled our car had drowned out the sound of his siren, and although I felt like we were in the throne room of God, we obviously were still in a rural highway in Alabama, well exceeding the speed limit. 
We pulled over. Leslie apologized profusely, telling the officer that we had been deep in praise and worship. And for good measure, conscious that we were in the Bible Belt, she added that I was a preacher and that we were on our way to a local church retreat. The officer was not impressed. As the man stood by the car window, I thought for that for a police officer, he wasn't very intimidating. He was short, scrawny, and bone thin. He had a kind demeanor. He was very gentle. So kind, in fact, that he compromised and issued a $61 seatbelt citation, even though we were wearing our seatbelts, and not the $350 fine that we deserved. He teased us a bit, and we shared a laugh with him. We talked with the officer about Jesus and invited him to attend the conference. After tentatively issuing us the ticket, he dutifully pulled away in his squad car, lights no longer flashing, and with the Alabama state seal still in full view on the hood of his car. As I watched him drive away, God spoke to my heart profoundly about the importance of authority and what it means to truly walk in power. That kind policeman had authority, no doubt about it. It didn't matter how harmless or mild manner he, he appeared to be or how timid or kind he was. It didn't matter that I probably weighed more than he did or that with Leslie at the wheel, we could easily have outrun a squad car. No, none of that mattered when he flashed his badge, a badge that said he was operating under the authority of the government. He had the legal back backing of the state of Alabama. I might not have been intimidated by his statue or by his appearance, but I certainly was intimidated by his authority. The marked car he drove and the flashing lights in our rearview mirror were all it took to get us to pull over, even if it was five miles after we should have. The officer had exercised his authority, and our concert was over, an authority we realized is a powerful thing. The enemy recognizes a believer who's walking in authority. If we are not enforcing the victory that Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary, the enemy will not yield ground. He will continue to operate illegally and take full advantage of our ignorance and failure to manifest all that God created us to be and to do. We must apprehend him in the name of Jesus and remind him of his position as a footstool for the Most High God. This is what those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High are meant to do. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Jesus said it again in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall harm you. Authority is only as good as the force that stands behind it. Leslie and I could have ignored the flashing red lights that followed us that day in Alabama, but because we understood the weight of the authority that driver of the squad car carried, we thought it might be a good idea to submit and comply immediately. After all, the officer was operating under the authority of the state of Alabama and ultimately the president of the United States. Who are we to mess with him? We have been given authority from the one who is head supreme, Lord of all, the one who has all dominion, all power, and is above all names. The authority that we have been granted is backed by the very powers of heaven. God has chosen to partner with man about his victory on earth, to bring about his victory on earth. The authority we carry and are called to enforce is not a wimpy authority. It's a supreme power to which all things must bow in subjection. Do you understand that we are battling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and evil forces in the spiritual realm? I read a, a, a quote this week that said we should always be mindful that, that the person we're battling, it's not about the personality, it's about the principality. It's not about flesh and blood. We battle against principalities and evil forces, but the good news is those principalities and evil forces ha have been defeated on the cross of Calvary. They've been made a public spectacle of. They have no right to operate legally in our life, but we have to enforce that defeat with the authority that Christ has given us. We have to choose to do that. We cannot be unaware of the enemy schemes. But, but instead, instead of enforcing the devil's defeated status, we let our thoughts, our situations, our circumstances, our reactions and responses to turn into a tempter's paradise, a place where he has full reign in our life. This week, I, I, I have a Costco membership, and, and we use it all the time, and I didn't realize that my Costco membership expired. 
but I really like to go get gas at Costco because it's probably, I don't know, 25 cents cheaper a gallon. And so I pulled into Costco, got out, swiped my little card, and, and there was a uh, warning that came up on the pump and it said, your membership has expired. But it was pouring down raining. And so I looked over at the booth and the little man in the booth just gave me a wave like, it's okay, we'll give you, I, I don't want to come out in the rain to tell you, so we'll just clear it on the pump and you can have a, a free pass. So as I was thinking about the enemy this week, I was thinking about how often, I, you, you see, his membership has been revoked. He has no power, no, no position to operate in my life anymore. But I was thinking about how many times I'm just too lazy to enforce it. I'm, I'm just too, too, I just don't want to mess with it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to use the energy that it takes to do it. And so I give him a free pass in my life, a free pass to operate illegally in my life. They're illegal moves, they're tactics, temptations set up by the enemy of our soul to hijack our peace, to steal our joy, to render us ineffective, clearly steering us away from the power and the presence of God. It is a vital truth, and we need to get it deep within our soul that we do not war against flesh and blood. Nothing happens to us that, that is about flesh and blood. It might manifest itself through flesh and blood, but it's not about flesh and blood. Ephesians 6.12 tells us it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Forces that have no legal right to operate in our life. But they need to be arrested by us, apprehended by us, and by God's word, with God's word. The enemy's tactics have one goal in sight. He wants to produce doubt and unbelief. He wants to, as James says, get us to waver because the man who wavers, uh, wavers doubting here, believing here, doubting one minute, believing the next minute. That man should not believe that he's going to receive anything from God. And the enemy knows that. And so he brings and he elicits doubt in our mind and he wants us to be suspicious about the goodness of God. He knows, he knows that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Do you know that? Do you know that nothing can separate you and I from the love of God? But you see, uh, the enemy shared that place in heaven. Do you understand that he was once in heaven with God? He shared that, 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 that intimacy and that fellowship with God, but he chose to separate himself from God. He chose to rise up against God. And you see, that's what he wants for you and I. He doesn't want us to enjoy fellowship and intimacy. He doesn't want us to enjoy the privilege of knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And instead, he tries to entice us and, and, and he devises clearly, uh, cleverly, um, uh, clever lies and he deposits them in our mind and he wants us to get suspicious about God's faithfulness and he whispers those lies and instead of us apprehending him we believe him we give him authority in our life instead of us apprehending him with the word of God the truth of God's word and the truth of who God really is we buy into the lie and we give him power and we begin to waver and doubt and find ourselves in a position where we can't expect to receive anything from God. He introduces doubt in hopes that we'll embrace it and ignorantly and unknowingly question the reality and the, and the reliability of God's word in our life. He wants us to relinquish our power to overcome through unbelief. He wants to blind us to the, the blessings of obedience and the power of agreement in our lives. I said last week, we need to settle this in, his, in our heart, that God's word is true. Do you know that God's word is true? He is the way, the truth, and the life. He can't even lie if he wanted to. It's impossible for God to lie. And we have got to get to the point, church, where we settle it in our mind that God's word is true that there is nothing false in it, that we believe that word over everything else, where we believe that word over what we are seeing and experiencing in the natural. The, the, what we're experiencing, what we're seeing, that can lie, but, but God's word can't. And so we have got to transpose God's word over our circumstances and say, this is truth. This is what I'm going to choose to believe regardless of what I'm seeing with my eyes. But you see, the tempter comes and he wants to lure us away. He wants us to believe the lie. It's who he is. He's a tempter. He's not just a liar. He is the father of lies. And he wants desperately 
to get us to the point where we not only question God's goodness, where we not only question God's word, but we question God's love for us. And church, we have got to learn to arrest that. We've got to learn to apprehend those lies, to apprehend those schemes. But, and, and we can only do that with the truth of the word of God. We've got to settle it in, his heart, in our heart that his word is forever settled in heaven. That is yea and amen to those who believe. The enemy knows that James was right when he said that the man who asked for wisdom and insight from God's word, who, who's asking God, I want to know how to maneuver this trial. I want to know how to get through this difficult time. I want to know how to say no to this temptation. And God, I need wisdom. And you promise that you'll give it to me. Will you give it to me? And see, the enemy knows that God won't do it if we're doubting. If we receive that word and then we doubt it, it won't function in our life. Faith and total trust in the reliability of God's word will counter the deceiving thoughts that keep us unproductive and will enable us to think accurately regarding God, ourselves, and others. We cannot afford to have a thought that God isn't having about us. If our thoughts don't line up with that word of God, we have got to throw that thing down. We've got to take it captive to the obedience of Christ. But you see, what we do is we entertain because we're as lazy as the Costco membership guy. And we've got to decide that we are going to mind our mind, that we're going to start believing God's word over everything else. The Bible says that faith in God's word is a shield about us. It'll keep us strong in the midst of the enemy's attack. God's word dwelling within us and on our lips becomes a shield to the fiery darts of the, of the enemy. But I'm just going to tell you that our sword must be sharp. We have to have trust and faith in God's word. When I was a little girl growing up, our church did this thing called sword sharpeners. Does anybody know what they were? And, and we would have to memorize uh, scripture, and, and we would go to church, and, and, and we'd have races to see who could find the scripture first in the word of God. And, and I, I'm thankful for that. It really stored up the word richly within me. It got me to know where to find scripture in, in the word of God, and it was just powerful. But I love that they were called sword sharpeners. It's so important, church, that we store up the word richly within ourselves, that we keep our sword sharp, but most importantly, that we have understanding and insight regarding God's word so that we can effectively use it. The word says that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I, I want you to know how important it is that we nourish the, the physical man. Anybody besides me love to nourish the physical man. I love it. I'm making my mouth water right now just thinking about it. I love to nourish the physical, the physical man. But I'm going to tell you, church, we have to nourish the spiritual man in the same way. We have to, to indulge and we have to devour the, the word of God. Food is necessary in both instances. Physical nourish, nourishment will not strengthen the spiritual man. Only the word of God can do that. And the word says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, pro that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and that's fascinating to me because that word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, do you know what that word means? That word, word, means in the original language? Somebody tell me. You guys are better than this. You know. What, what have I told you about two words for, for word in the original language? What are they? Logos. And what's the other one? Rhema. Guess what one this is? Man shall not live by bread alone. You're not going to get nourished by bread alone. You're going to get nourished by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What do you think the word is there? Rhema. It's not just me reading God's word and, and I'm going to get nourished by that. I'm going to get strengthened by that. That word is rhema. It's the aha. It's the God spoke that into my being and I got it. And just try to take it from me. Try to steal this from me because it got deep within my soul. It, it's, it is radiating through my life as truth. That's truth. That's why we say amen. I love to be in a church where somebody says amen when I preach. I will tell you that will pull it out of me every single time. If you want me to preach harder, give me a couple amens because it will pull on that. And, and, and I'm just telling you that word amen means so be it. I am in agreement, God. I agree with that, and I love it. And, and you see, that's why man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, every rhema, everything that we get deep within our soul, and nobody can take it from us because we've already given the amen. God's word is yea and amen to those who believe. Do you, do you understand the importance of that? His word, and Lord, help me with this. It's not in my notes, but, 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 but oh, his word is yea and amen to those who believe. And, and his word, it's a double-edged sword. 
It's a two-mouthed sword. Do you understand that? The word of God is a double-edged sword, two-mouthed sword. It's mouthed one time from God into those pages, and then it's double-edged. It's, do you know that a double-edged sword is the most deadly weapon you can, you, you can use? Because it doesn't just cut going in. It cuts going up, cuts going down. It's a deadly, deadly weapon. It does unbelievable amount of damage. And it's not, it's not um, ironic that, that, that the God's word is called a double-edged sword. It's, ma- it's a two-mouth sword is what it means. Mouth once from God into his word. But baby, when we get the rhema, when we get the understanding that that word is truth inside of me and God gave me revelation, God gave me understanding, now I put my mouth to it. I start using that thing as a deadly weapon to assault and apprehend and arrest the enemy. And then it becomes a double-edged sword, a two-mouth sword, a deadly, deadly weapon. His word is yea and amen. To those who believe. God has said the yes. He's given the yes. We give the amen. So be it. I agree with that, Lord. I agree with that in my circumstances. I agree with that in my situation. So be it. And I'm going to apply God's word over. I'm going to transpose it over my situation as truth. But you see, we've got to get that word deep within us. Do you understand the importance of that? John 8, uh, 31 says, if we abide in God's word and hold fast to his teachings, and live in accordance to them, we are truly his disciples. And we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. What is the condition there? If we abide in his word, if we live in his word, if we dwell in his word, if that word becomes such a part of us, uh, it means to be, uh, uh, we, we shall know the truth and the truth will set us free. If we abide, if we live, if we dwell in God's word, we will know the truth. That word know is a Jewish idiom, Tommy, for sexual in- intercourse. And what it means is if I'm intimately acquainted with God's word, if I have a deep, intimate knowledge, not just a, a surface knowledge about God's word, not that I go to church and just listen to a preacher read it to me every once in a while. Kendall, you did a great job. But, but, but if I have an intimate knowledge of it, if I've spent time with it, if I'm dwelling in it, if I'm waiting for the rhema to come from God, I'll know. I'll be intimately acquainted with God's word. And I'll know the truth and the truth, not a lie, the truth will set me free. Uh, uh, let me just flesh it out for you. Dave is here tonight. My husband is here tonight. And I, I'm intimate with that man. And, and if you lined up, let's say, 75 men across the front of this church, and you covered everything about them except their feet, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Uh, because I'm intimate with him, I could go down through that line and say, not him, not him, that's not him. Oh, baby, that's my man right there. I recognize those feet. That's because I'm intimate with him. I know everything about him. And can I tell you, that's how it needs to be with God's word. We need to know the truth. We need to be intimate with God's word. We need to get it deep within us. We need to be so so acquainted with that word. When we have all of these thoughts swirling around in our mind, it should be like me with with men's feet. I should be able to say, "Mm mm-mm, that's not God. Mm Mm-mm, that's not truth. That's not truth. That's really not truth. I recognize that truth. That is truth. Bingo, we hit it. Everything else needs to go. I'm not entertaining anything else. Do you see how that works? If you abide in my word, and my word abides in you, then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He came to set us free. We don't have to live in bondage to lies and defeat. James, never, James tells us if we doubt God's word, we'll not receive anything from him. We have to become intimate with God. We need to learn that his word is truth, but we have to know it deep within us. I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias tell a story about a man who was going to be ordained as a minister. Uh, he was being interviewed by the bishop in an effort to see how much scripture he knew. And so he looked at him and he said, well, Sam, can you tell me about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the man said, yes, sir, I I will, sir. And he went on to say, once there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked him. And as he went on, he didn't have any money, so he went to the Queen of Sheba, and she gave him a 100,000 talents of gold and a 100 changes of raiment. Then he got into a chariot and drove furiously, and when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair caught on the limb of that tree, and he hung there for many days and nights. 
And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink. And he ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. One night when he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and fell to the stony ground. But he got up and went on, and it began to rain, and it rained 40 days and 40 nights, and he hid himself in a cave, and he lived on locusts and wild honey. Then he went till he met a servant who said, come take supper at my house. And he made an excuse and said, no, I won't. I have married a wife, and I can't go. And the servant went out in the highways and in the hedges and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down to Jericho. And when he got there, he looked up and saw old Queen Jezebel sitting high up in a window. And she laughed at him, and he said, throw her down out there. And they threw her down. And he said, throw her down again. And they threw her down 70 times 7. And the fragments that remained, he picked up 12 baskets full, besides women and children. And they said, blessed are the peace, P-I-E-C-E makers. (laughs) Now, whose wife do you think she is in the judgment day? I laughed out loud when I read that because I wonder if we might reply in the same manner if we were ever tested on our knowledge and understanding of God's word. And I don't say that to make you feel condemned. I I say that to challenge you because, you see, we can't apply something and believe it steadfastly without a supernatural revelation and understanding into that word. We have to get intimately acquainted with it. We have to spend time In the word, I'm sorry to tell you that Sunday morning isn't enough. If you you have your Bibles tonight, if you open them to Matthew chapter 16, I I want you to just see a couple quick scriptures before I I let you go. I'm just going to tell you if you can just give me a little extra time tonight. There's some powerful stuff that I feel like I have to show you. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is, is talking with his disciples. And he says, let's just look at verse... um, Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say I am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and some others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, I want you to get that, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on on earth shall be loosed in heaven." I just want you to look at that just for a moment. I love that Jesus is so secure in who he is, that, that, that he can say, who do people say I am? And, and he gets all kinds of mixed responses. Nobody really understands him. Nobody gets him. And I, I, just, I just love that. I love that he's so secure in who he is. It doesn't matter if people don't understand him. How, would we, how much freer would we be, church, if we really didn't care what people thought about us? And, and so Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And now we know that any time that Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, does it? It's because he's driving a point home. He wants to teach us something to make us think. And, and so he says, who do people say I am? And he gets those varied responses. And, and then he says, but who do you, my disciples, my followers, the people who are, are learning from me, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives him the correct answer. And, and he says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It was uncovered. It was disclosed. The veil was removed, and you got understanding. You got a rhema about this, Peter, and it didn't come from men. Here's what I want to tell you, church, is, is we want to go, and I love that you're here on Monday nights, and I love that you go to church, and you don't miss, you don't miss church or Sunday school or Bible study. I, I love that you meet with your prayer group. But I just want to tell you, That if that's all that we do, we are never going to get the revelation of God that we need to defeat the enemy. We're not. We're going to live in bondage. And and that's fine. You can still die and go to heaven, and that's great, and rock home with your bad self. But I'm just, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to stretch you more and to say there is so much more. We can learn to apprehend and arrest the enemy. We do not have to be led astray by him and tormented and, and, and discouraged by him day in and day out. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood did not tell you this. It was revealed to you by my Father. You got a revelation from on high. 
without a supernatural revelation of who Jesus really is, you and I don't have the ability to fend off the devil and, and live the abundant Christ life that Christ had died for us to have. But once you and I get revelation, I mean deep revelation of the truth of who Christ is, no flesh and blood, no trial, no tribulation, no temptation, no principality can ever prevail against that truth. I don't know if you can think of a time where you got a revelation, where you got a rhema, aha moment about the word of God, where you read something and you were like, this is truth here. I can apply this to my circumstance. I can start speaking this over my circumstances and I can watch God's word begin to work and you get it that it's truth and you get it deep down inside of you. Can I tell you the enemy, he has to find a new way to attack you because that one isn't going to work anymore because you got a revelation and you got it as truth deep down in your soul. You were able to pick out the feet amongst all the others as truth. That's why it's so important that we get in that word until that word gets in us. Not a legalistic garbage. Please don't say, Rhea, you're teaching a works mentality. That's ridiculous. I'm teaching you how to walk in victory and not defeat. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. He says, Peter, and, and, and you know, I've heard people teach this. Peter, you're a rock, baby. You are a rock. Well, if you look up that word in the original language, what he's saying is that word rock for Peter, it means a stone that you can throw, that you can easily move. You can knock out a position. But he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Well, people say, oh, it's on the rock of Peter. No, 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 Let's keep this in context. I talk to you about context all the time. What is the context that Jesus is talking to Peter about here? Revelation. Supernatural revelation from the Father. Download from the Father. And what Jesus is saying, Peter, flesh and blood didn't give this to you. You didn't get this from some preacher. Peter, you didn't get this from what your friend told you. You got this because you sat before the Father. The Father gave you revelation. You've been watching me. You've been walking closely with me. Peter, you've been in intimate relationship with me. And you saw what I can do. You know who I am, Peter. And you know what? The gates of hell will not prevail against that kind of revelation. On this rock, not on you, Peter, on the rock of revelation. I'm going to build my church. Do you know what that word build means? It means to edify. It means to make strong and courageous. It means to, to, to strengthen in such a way that you get character, you get development, you, you get unshakable faith that, that the gates of hell, the jurisdiction of hell, the government of hell cannot prevail against it. Mess with me. That's that kind, that's that kind of power. And, and church, that's the kind of power we should be walking in. We should be walking in it. I'll never forget one night, oh, a number of years ago, uh, Leslie and I were, were getting ready to leave. The team was all finishing up, and there was one person left, and in that, in that middle at the end of a row, and, and she was just sitting there. And, and I was like, well, you know, she must still need prayer. And she was the last person left in, in, the, in the sanctuary. And, and so I started to come down the aisle towards her to go pray for her. And all of a sudden, when I got within inches of her, she went like this to me. And she, she pulled away. And I knew immediately what it was. I knew that the enemy... I had possession of her. I, there was no doubt in my mind, and he recognized the authority that I carried. He recognized it, and he didn't want anything to do with it. And I'm just going to tell you, we need to learn to walk in that kind of authority. We need to understand. I may not have authority in everything, but that one I understand. That one I get deep within my soul. I got rhema about that one. Just try to steal that one from me because I understand all authority has been given to me to, to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, not some all the power of the enemy, and nothing can harm us. See, I got that deep within my soul, and the enemy recognized that authority. He recognized it in me, and I was able to apprehend and arrest it. And you see, church, that's what we need to walk in. That's what we need to walk in. And on this rock, I will build my church. Not, not Peter. Peter, you're a rock that can be easily moved, that you can be easily shaken, that you waver, Peter. You're not going to receive anything from God if you keep doing that. But you see, on revelation, when you get revelation, Peter, you won't be wavering anymore. That word rock, it means a cliff. It means a, a firm foundation, a sure foundation. You turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. Another principle that I just want to show you quickly tonight, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews is right behind uh, James, the book of James that we've been studying. Hebrews chapter 11. 
You see, once we have revelation, once we get that supernatural revelation, that download from God, we have to receive it as our own. Otherwise, it's just knowledge. How many people do you know that have a lot of knowledge about God's Word? I, I'm not interested in a lot of knowledge about God's Word. I'm not interested in, in, in just, you know, getting a degree in, in theology and being able to get a lot of knowledge about God's Word. If we have knowledge but have no uh, revelation, no application in our life, it's just puffed up knowledge. But we need to not just get the revelation, we need to then begin to receive it as our own and apply it to our life. And, and this is what we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him up in a figurative sense. Now, we talked about this for, for a bit last week. Um, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, when God says, uh, I gave you this son, he's, you're, you're, you're gonna, uh, there's going to be many nations that come from this seed. Uh, Abraham, he was old. He wasn't able to conceive. We talked about this last week. Uh, but Abraham even though he couldn't understand why God, who had given him Isaac, would now tell him to sacrifice Isaac. It didn't make any sense in the natural. Sometimes when God asks us to do something, when we go through a trial or a tribulation, it doesn't make any sense in the natural. It doesn't line up with the promises that we believe God has given us. But Abraham, even though he, it didn't line up with, with the promise that God had given him, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He did what God told him to do because he thought, he concluded, he added up the facts, and he said, well, God made me a promise. God is a promise keeper, and even if I kill Isaac because God is telling me to do it, he'll just have to raise him up again because he's a promise keeper, and I'm so convinced of that that I'll take my own son's life because I believe that God doesn't lie. I believe that he's a promise keeper. But the word said in order to do that, Abraham had to receive the promises. That word receive there, I love this. I, this is what I, I just read it to you for. Uh, that word receive means to receive kindly as one would receive a guest and so entertain. Uh, one of the commentators I read said the word is used frequently of undertaking that which calls out effort and endurance. It means to receive the promises means to entertain it, to receive it as you would receive a guest in your house and entertain them. Oh, that's so good. Somebody please tell me you get that. We have to receive the promises that are yea and amen to those who believe. We have to read this word, receive them, entertain them as guests and, and, and keep them there, not send them away. We need to entertain them as guests and say, this thing is for me. This is coming my house and visit and I'm gonna take care of that thing and it means remember the commentator said it requires endurance and effort what does James say when you enter trials and tribulations count it all joy because what does it produce perseverance and perseverance when it's finished its work will make you mature and complete and not lacking anything same word he, he's saying it, it takes endurance it takes effort to say I'm not moving this promise is yay and amen what is your situation that you're facing? What's the trial that you're facing? What is the temptation that comes knocking at your door? Sin has desired to have you. What's the scripture? Beverly, you know this. Uh, it's crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must master it. You, not God. Oh, God, zap me. Please get me out of this temptation. You know, you promised to give away. No, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, and you must master it. You must apprehend that thing. All authority has been given to you. He's a defeated foe. He has no legal right in your life. And it's crouching at your door, and he desires to have you, and you must master it. You must take authority. You must enforce what I took care of on the cross of Calvary. Put on your sirens and blue lights and apprehend that thing. You say, well, I'm just wimpy, Rhea. I'm a wimpy Christian. So was that police officer. Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Was he not wimpy? I mean, I looked at him and thought, I can't believe they gave you a badge. I would not be afraid of you. I could run faster than you. I'm pretty sure. But he flipped those lights on. Mm -mm -mm. He showed that badge, and I was like, back and down. Give us a ticket. We'll pay it. Apprehend them. Apprehend them. The word says, make sure that you don't become sluggish and imitate those through faith and patience. Inherit the promises. That through faith and patience inherit the promises. That word sluggish means don't be stupid. 
Don't be stupid. Don't listen to the enemy. Don't give up when your breakthrough is coming. Keep believing because you will inherit the promise of God. They won't return void. One more thing I want, to, want you to see, Acts 28. This is so good. Acts 28. There's Acts and then there's Romans. Acts 28. This was everything I could do not to share this with you last weekend or last week. I, I just was so overwhelmed by this. And so, Lord, please just help me to teach it the way you showed me. Acts 28. And I'll begin reading in verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, this is Paul, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Guess what that word is? One word. What's the word? Rhema. One revelation that he got from watching them not believe. After he worked and worked and worked, many days they came. He spent lots of time persuading them from the scripture, trying, trying to persuade them about Jesus. And the word says that some believed. They, they, they put their trust in Jesus. They became confident in him. But some disbelieved. They, they were unfaithful. They betrayed the trust. And that word disbelieved, it means they were given every opportunity to believe. They were without excuse. They had, they had been shown everything. And they had every opportunity, and they still turned their back on it. They still chose to disbelieve. It was a choice. And so the Bible says that Paul, he, he tried to persuade them. He, he tried to convince them. And some believed, and sadly, some disbelieved. And when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul and said one word, had a rhema. Here's his rhema. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet, to our father, saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. That word means hearing you shall hear and you won't be able to bring together what you're, what you're hearing and mentally understand it. You won't be able to gather those facts together in your mind and understand it. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I, I read this word and I can't, uh, Leslie will always say to me, Rhea, you just have a gift with that word. You just have a way to read it and get something out of it that I can't get. And, 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 it, and it doesn't. I say to her all the time, you have the same ability to get from this word that I get. And we, we all have that same ability. And she'll say, but Rhea, you can bring it together in your mind like I can't do. That's what he's saying here. Hearing, you will hear, but you won't be able to bring it together in your mind. You won't be able to comprehend it. And seeing, you will see and not, not perceive. And that word seeing and not perceive, it means to turn the eye, the mind, the attention to anything. I just can't focus. I can't get concentrated on this word. I, I, can't I can read it, Rhea, but it doesn't make any sense to me. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. That word dull means wax callous. It means to make stupid. It means to render the soul dull, dull or callous or to stupidify. My daughter Christy, she was just a, a peanut. She was a monkey. We called her a monkey because she loved the monkey bars at school. Do you remember? Am I just dating ourselves? But um, she, she was this little teeny tiny thing and she could just she could just buzz. Davy couldn't she? She'd just like monkey go across this, this monkey bar. She had such strength in her arms. But she would come home, and her little hands would be bloodied and just full of blisters. And I'd be like, baby girl, don't do it again. Don't, don't, why are you doing this? Look how sore your hands are. But she loved it. And, and so she'd go back the next day, and she'd do it again and come home, and her little, the blisters would be broken open, and her hands would be so sore. And I'd put Band-Aids on it, and sure enough, the next day she'd be back on those monkey bars again. And eventually, she developed such hard calluses on her little petite hands, and they were just like, you could put a needle in them, and, and, and they wouldn't even bleed. They were so calloused over. Are you, are you following me? And, and, and what he's saying is, your hearts have grown callous. Oh, this disgraces my soul. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes, and he pricks us, and we feel it. We feel the conviction. We, we feel the, the, the prick of a spirit. We, we know his word says one thing, and we're doing another, and we let that prick us and change us, and we feel it. But every time we turn away from that, Every time we say, ah, it hurt, but, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Our heart grows callous, grows dull. 
He said, the hearts of these people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have closed their eyes. It means to shut the eyes. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand. That means to yield obedience with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them, so that I should make them whole. Paul was saying, I, I tried to convince these people, but they disbelieved. They had full opportunity to believe, but they rejected it. They refused to believe. And, and Paul was quoting Isaiah here. He's talking about the Israelites, the Israelites who had walked with God, and they saw God's power, and, and yet they, they longed to go back into bondage, into slavery. They still questioned God's faithfulness every time they came into something that was insurmountable, anytime they came to something difficult, a trial, as they went through the wilderness. They questioned God, and they disbelieved God, and that's what Isaiah was talking about. And Paul was saying, you're no different. You've seen God's faithfulness. You've seen what God can do. You're intimately acquainted with his truth and its truth. And yet, yet, you close your eyes to that and you believe what you can see over here. You're moved by your circumstances. You're moved by temptation. You're moved by the trial and you question God's faithfulness. And yet, you have seen his goodness. You've seen his faithfulness. You've seen his power in your life. And you choose to disbelieve that, to turn a blind eye to it, and chase after the lies of the enemy. And allow him to rule and reign in your life and to wreak havoc in your life. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm just telling it. I'm telling you, church, we have got to come to a place where we don't harden our heart to God's word, where we get in his word and we read it till it gets in us. And we will become a rock, and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. They won't. One last story before I close. Dave has a pickup truck that he loves. It's his man truck, and, you know, he loves it. And um, it has a bed liner in it and, um, and what do they call it, a topper, Dave? And this topper that he can push a button and it opens and closes the, the top of the pickup, the bed of the pickup truck. Are you with me? And he's always loved it, and, and he loves it. He can just push this little button. And last summer, it broke. And... I'm telling you, my man can fix anything. He's like Mr. Fix-It. It, and I, anything. He, if he can't fix it, he gets online and he looks at a YouTube video, and before I know it, he's fixed it. And he saves us a ton of money because he can fix our cars. He can, he's really good. But he couldn't fix this topper, and it was just pushing every button he had. And, and he would be out there on the weekends all, all last summer trying to fix it. And he worked even in the, in the freezing cold in the winter, you know, this past fall and into the winter. And he would call the topper guy. He'd say, you know, can you just tell me how to fix this? Tell me what I need to do. And the guy would give him instruction. And, and, and still, he couldn't do it. He looked on YouTube videos. He couldn't figure it out. And he's so frustrated. And this morning, we, we were, he was getting ready for work, and he was talking to me, and he said, Rhea, I, the guy called me and he said he's going to send me a diagram uh, of, that, of that topper and how I can step by step go through that and fix it. And, and, and as he's telling me that, I was thinking about God's word. Because you see, Dave understood that if he didn't know how to do something, that the place to go was the manufacturer. To go back to the manufacturer and say, how do I do this? Show me how to do this step by step. Can I tell you? Some of you, as James says, are facing trials of many kinds. And it's stealing your joy. You're not considering it joy. It's stealing your joy. And you're wavering in doubt and unbelief. And you don't know how to do it. You don't know how to get through it. But if you go back to the manufacturer and say, Lord, this is your life. This is my life. This is the life you created. This is your word right here. And I need to know how to maneuver this situation. I need to know how uh, to get victory here. I need to know how to fix this thing that seems so broken in my life. He says, if any man lacks it, just ask. I'll give it to you. Come back to the manufacturer. Stop trying to figure this out yourself. Stop trying to reason this yourself. And, and when we go back to that place and, and we, we seek the revelation, we seek the understanding from God, he will guide us and direct us through that trial, not just to get through it, but get through it victoriously. None of us are immune to problems. We talked about that last week rich, the poor, there, there, no situation. If you're here uh, today and you don't have a trial, take good notes because you're going to have one. You're not immune to them. But James is giving us step-by-step -step instruction. 
step-by-step instruction. When we ask God for wisdom, people say, well, God told me something, and I want to just say, well, how did you hear him say that? Because if you're not in this word, if what he's saying to you does not line up, this is where you hear from God. You know, I I love prophetic words. I love words of wisdom, words of knowledge. But I'm going to tell you what. You cannot get that from a person. It has to come from this. This is where God speaks to you. If somebody gives you a prophetic word and it does not line up with this word, you throw that thing away. And you see, you're you're subjecting yourself to man. And and I'm telling you, the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful. They they work. They're incredible. They build up and encourage the the, the body of Christ. But this right here is where you hear from from God, where you get revelation. And you see, we want to come and we want to say, Rhea, tell me what you learned this week. and, And I can apply that to my life and I can get victory. And that's great. But you know what? We need to grow up to maturity and we need to get in that word till it gets in us. And we need to get our daily bread there. And we need to nourish our spirit, man. And in that place of nourishment, I'm going to tell you, we're going to get strength to face that trial. And not just face it, but walk through it victoriously. And not be moved. Because the gates of hell will not prevail, for, prevail against us if we're building our, and encouraging and strengthening ourselves in the word of God and in his revelation. Just try to come against me if I get revelation. It may take me a while. I might flounder for a bit, but I'm going to tell you, when I get in the Word and I get a truth from God, I'm going to tell you breakthrough will come. I may flounder for a bit, but when I finally get it, I will get it, and you're going to have to mess with me another way. The enemy came at Jesus. He hit on all his vulnerabilities, all of his weaknesses, and the Word says that in the end, he had to leave and come back to Jesus at a more opportune time. I'm not going to get breakthrough here. He's not, he's not wavering. And so uh, it's not working. I'm going to have to come back a different way. Resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil and he will flee. Some of you are in trying circumstances right now. And, and I don't just mean trouble. I don't mean just pain or heartache, disappointment. I don't mean financial trials only. I don't mean uh, illness. I don't mean sickness only. I don't mean marriage troubles only. I, I mean... That can mean temptation. I can mean uh, that you're, you're facing attempting, maybe your lustful thoughts. Maybe you're tempted to have an adulterous affair. Maybe you're tempted to cheat on your taxes. Maybe you're tempted to go out and get drunk as a skunk. Maybe you're tempted, whatever, whether it's a trial or a temptation. No one should say, God is tempting me. Because no temptation will ever come upon you but what is common to man. And when you are tempted, he will always give you a way out. But the man who asks should ask and not doubt. Lord, I need a way out. Okay, here it is. You're going to find it through revelation. You're going to find it through sitting with that word and letting me speak it to you. And breakthrough will come. Breakthrough will come. Next week, we're going to talk about how we are lured away and enticed by our own evil desires. I was studying that today. And I was struck by the fact that the devil is not even mentioned in that passage. Kendall read it to you tonight, but just before you leave, let me just give you a taste of next week. Um, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I'm struck that all we see there is that it's not coming from God. We don't see the devil mentioned there. We see that we're lured away enticed by our own evil desires. And so that's what we're going to talk about next week and actually move on um, but I hope you're enjoying this series. Are you enjoying this series? Yeah, it's, it's life-changing, isn't it? Yeah. And so let's stand to your feet. Father, we thank you and we praise you for each man and woman in this place tonight. We thank you for your word, Lord God, that it is living, it is active, that it never returns void in our life, that it truly is a double-edged sword, a deadly weapon, the sword of the Spirit. 
And so, Father, I pray for each person here tonight. I pray, Lord God, as they sit with your word this week, that they would hear you speak clearly and tenderly to their heart, Lord God. I pray for, for supernatural, divine revelation. I pray, Lord God, that the scales would fall off and that we would be able to see more clearly, that, that we would see with understanding. That I pray for rhema words all over the place, Lord God. I pray for life-changing truth that penetrates hearts and minds and that truly set your people free. Lord, we want to know truth. Because we know that when we finally grasp it, Lord God, that truth is going to set us free. And so, Father, I pray for supernatural, divine revelation of truth in each of our lives this weekend. Lord, help us to set aside time to spend with you. Help us to set aside time, not legalistic, Lord, but, but to set aside time to just sit in your word and bask in your presence. And, Lord, be strengthened in that place, in that place, Lord God, in that place of your presence to be strengthened and encouraged in you. Lord, would you bless each one here tonight? Thank you so much for bringing them, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that this word that's been deposited would just continue, Lord God, to prosper in their hearts and minds and that it would reap a harvest in their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.